Hello and welcome back to Political Division Re-Envisioned with your host, Nick Liberty. Uh, first off, again, I'm a political researcher, so in these last few weeks leading up to the election, I've been extremely busy. That's why I haven't been able to put out as many episodes as I'd like and why this episode is going to be a little bit more rushed than some of my more prepared ones. Um, so just a, a preface on this, I didn't have a lot of like prep time. I didn't really do a lot of research or uh, go into depth on some of the subjects I'm going to be speaking about. And this one's going to be a little bit more kind of free form. Um, once again, I encourage, uh, you know, audience interaction. So if you could reach out at political division reenvisioned at gmail.com, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to get into the episode. Thank you guys all for listening. So normally I approach my episodes to try and, uh, as the mission statement of the podcast says, to re-envision political division. Um, to kind of find ways to bring people together on issues. Uh, recently, with some of the debates I've been to and some of the forums I've been hearing from candidates around the uh, New York and Connecticut area, uh, I feel inclined to just kind of make some general statements that are that are honestly going to be aimed more at the left. So if that's not something you enjoy, you will not offend me by skipping this episode. But I encourage you to listen anyway because I just I think some of these statements are just getting out of hand. And even though I've re, uh, I've addressed some of these issues in other episodes, I just want to reiterate them and kind of go across like a, a more broad spectrum of some of them, specifically relating to a couple of the debates I've been to recently. So first off, I I've been to two debates for different Connecticut congressional candidates, both for Joe Courtney versus Mike France and Johanna Hayes versus George Logan. And in both of these debates, I saw a trend that just made my blood kind of boil and made me feel like I had to address this. And I have to focus on this because right now we are facing a, a economic crisis relating to fuel, oil, and gas. And all the, the people on the left, all of the, the left congressional candidates that I've seen, they can only blame it on Russia or OPEC or all of these other things. And it drives me nuts because during the last administration, like them, hate them, love them, whatever your opinion of the, of the Trump administration was, we had, for the first time ever, essentially fuel independence. Yes, we were still exporting and importing oil and gas, and we were still interacting in the market, but largely we had, we were the largest producer in the world of gas and oil, and that is no longer the case. And you will hear Democratic candidates and I don't know about what state you guys are in out there or whether you're even in a state, if, if I have some of my worldwide viewers tuning in for this episode. But what they say is that in the first year and a half, Biden, under his administration, has issued the most uh, drilling permits and expanded oil drilling more than anyone ever in history. And it's just an outright lie, and it takes five minutes to debunk because immediately upon him coming into office, he shut all of it down and then reinstated a bunch of it. He, he just he basically reset to zero and then went back to 90% of what it was. And then because it was in such a short time, they claimed it as a victory and, and like they're trying to solve the issue. And it's just and it's not the first issue that they've done this on. So I'm also going to get into and I'll just do it now. I'll just get it over with. They also did this, and I hear this parroted by tons of Democratic candidates, that Biden is the first president and they're the first Congress to put caps on insulin and bring down the price of insulin and prescription drugs. That was done during the last administration, 
and they put caps on the cost of insulin through Medicare, and then they revoked it so that then they could re-vote on it, add more things into the bill that did it, and then claim it as a victory, and then throw slander at the Republican candidates because they voted against it, because now it wasn't just about capping the cost of insulin and bringing prices of prescription drug costs down. It added in tons of other things and additional spending that they don't want to talk about, but they want to laser focus in on that one thing that they're now claiming is a victory, which is nonsense. And I'm sorry if I'm getting a little heated with this, but I just I can no longer stay silent on some of the things I've seen when I'm in person at these events, the things that these people say that are just factually incorrect and at the very least completely dishonest. I mean, it's it's either ignorance or it's malicious intent, and neither of those are acceptable in an elected official. So it's insane. And then you talk about green energy, and I hear this come up at all these debates. Specifically, I'm referring right now to, in Connecticut, the, both of those debates. They talk about how they need to increase green energy. And again, I just did an episode on green energy the other day that, that mentioned that debate with uh, Joe Courtney and Mike France. That was before I went to the one with Johanna Hayes and George Logan. They, they talk about uh, increasing green energy and electric vehicles and mass transportation. It's like all these things are good. But they don't talk about the other side of it, the fact that we have been reliant on oil and we are going to be reliant on oil for some time to come. That's not to say we shouldn't work on getting away from that, but the solutions they're proposing do not solve the economic strife that we're facing right now. And I understand working towards a brighter and cleaner future. The reality is, is that if you're talking on a global scale, climate change, China puts out more CO2 and more polluting emissions than the entire Western Hemisphere together. I mean, it, it's it's not even close, and that's not e that's just focusing on China. That's not even talking about India or the Middle East or any of these other places. I mean, let's talk about the Middle East with their emissions. I mean, obviously, if they're the the largest net exporters, Russia too, under OPEC of oil and gas, that means refineries, that means pollution. It's just, it's dishonest to act like we need to have this climate guilt in the United States, and we need to take on this burden, and they do it with everything. They do it with the mistreatment of African Americans historically in America. The reality is, is that America was one of the first and the, the most violent attempts to end slavery. We were one of the first countries to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do that anymore. All of these other countries kind of followed suit. And we weren't even the ones that brought it here. Before America was even independent, the British brought slavery here. I've touched on that in another episode. And I'm not going to get into details on it, but it's just to show you that the general nonsense and the way that they warp and distort the truth to make you believe something that is inherently not true. And they do it on everything. They, 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 they burden you with guilt, and they get you to vote for them by process of guilt. It's like a, a gaslighting abusive relationship where you have somebody that, that makes every issue that you face in that relationship, the root of the cause is always you. And somehow it was your fault and you need to feel guilty and, oh, I might have reacted a certain way, but it was you that made me do that. And that we're, we're facing these crises because of you, because you keep voting this way, because you keep doing – they never take responsibility. They never admit that their policies have led to the decisions and the problems that we're facing now. These issues have a common root cause. You saw eight years of Obama. Things were not as bad as they are now, but they weren't great. Four years of Trump. We were the number one producer of gas and oil. We had 
low unemployment until the pandemic hit, which was largely caused the spike in uh, unemployment because of democratic policies in those cities and states. Um, we had low unemployment. We had record high economy. We had record low gas for the last few decades. I mean, I saw a dollar eighty-seven in New York of all places. Uh, it's just, it's dishonest to say that these issues are not controllable. That that what we're seeing right now in inflation is due to supply chain or it's due to the conflict in Russia. It's a lie. And then when they say that it was because of the, the pandemic, fewer people were traveling, so gas was cheaper. Yes, that's true. But before the pandemic, gas was still sub $3. And since the Biden administration took over, it hasn't been under $3, at least from what I've seen, in months. I haven't seen sub $3 gas at all. I mean, you can compare to remove the pandemic from it so that they don't have that excuse anymore. And it still doesn't hold water. And they do this on every issue. They burden you with guilt, and they act like you are the problem, and it's the people that are in power or the people that have been in power. It can never be that they need to solve an issue that they've created. And back to the, the green energy issue and electric vehicles, no one wants to talk about the fact that you have to mine all the materials for that, that most of those materials come from overseas currently. They have to be shipped across the ocean on polluting uh, barges and cargo ships. I'm sorry, not barges, cargo ships. I was right the second time. But that doesn't really matter. There's barges that have to move once they're here, and those have to be tugged and towed. It's just, it's so dishonest to burden you with this guilt and act like you don't care about the environment because you're concerned about paying ridiculous prices for groceries or because you're paying ridiculous prices for gas. It's insane. I mean, these are things that affect the everyday person that they don't have to worry about. And that goes for both Republicans and Democrats. At the end of the day, these problems don't really affect them all that much. They're not really worried about getting enough money to put a gallon of gas in their tank. Whereas you out there, the common listener, you might be in that situation. I've been in that situation before. Thankfully, I found relatively steady employment, and that hasn't been a major concern in my life. But there certainly have been times when it hasn't been easy to get enough money to, to drive for my jobs. I've done a lot of traveling. I've, I've put 200,000 miles on my car in, you know, six years since I've had it. Still driving the same car. Why am I still driving the same car? Because the price of everything is so expensive now that to upgrade is a crazy idea right now. Even a, a cruddy car that's got thousands and thousands of miles on it like mine is expensive. And I ask myself, why is that the case? What has done this? The lockdowns that did nothing, the, the policies that did nothing to, to curb anything. I mean, you look at states, and I encourage you, please, to go do your research. Like I said, this episode was thrown together, so I don't have the numbers directly in front of me right now. But look at the numbers in states that had almost no lockdowns or any restrictions, and look at the numbers during the pandemic in states that had almost complete lockdowns. And you compare the populations to the infections to the deaths, and it's almost identical. I mean, there were certain outliers. I mean, environmental uh, aspects came into play. Uh, you know, certain regions were more apt and certain uh, populations were more affected. But, I mean, even looking at, like, a state like Florida, which has a, a disproportionate um, population of elderly and seniors, they didn't even see numbers that are comparable or you know, exceed what you would expect in other states that did full lockdowns. If anybody was going to see disproportionate deaths from COVID, 
you would have expected it to be Florida, regardless of policy. And the fact that they had very lax policies during the pandemic and still didn't see uh, an abnormally large number of deaths comparatively just tells you that none of those lockdowns that they're now blaming the economic failure on actually did anything. And it's not like this information wasn't known. We had historical data. I'm sure I've covered this in one of my past episodes. We had historical data from the last pandemic during the Spanish flu that said that no matter what you do, if a disease is transmissible enough, it's not going to make a difference. Once it's out, it's the genie's out of the bottle, the cat's out of the bag, and now you got to deal with it and you got to just push through it and get through it and do the best you can. And this issue doesn't just uh, permeate into green energy, into the pandemic. I just literally just finished writing a report for a debate for a congressional candidate in New York. Some of you, if you're in New York or if you're in one of the neighboring states, you may be aware. Um, if you follow some of the more politically oriented news mediums, you may know of this race anyway. Um, Pat Ryan versus Colin Schmidt. Uh, Pat Ryan ran in a special congressional election to fill Delgado's seat against Mark Molinaro, and he won by a slim margin because one county went a very high percentage towards him when all of the others went completely in the opposite direction because of the populations he got it. Uh, not to say that he didn't deserve it. He did win you know, the election. That's how it works, the districting. It still kind of was unfortunate. But you, you see this in this debate when they talk about the gun issue. They, they have this, um, this tendency to make an argument on one issue. And then if that principle that they set in one argument doesn't fit in the next paragraph or the next phrase, they completely act like it doesn't exist. And this comes up and this came up with the gun issue, where on one part where they were talking about the assault weapons ban, um, Pat Ryan brings up how when we had a federal assault weapons ban, which isn't an entirely true statement, we had some restrictions that is not necessarily the same as what they're trying to institute now, but even if it was, he says how during the, the 1994 to 20, I think 2014 or 2004, I can't remember which one, um, during that time period we had decreased gun deaths. And unlike my opponent, this is uh, almost verbatim for what he said uh, without me having the actual quote in front of me, he says, unlike my opponent, if it you know saves one life, if it prevents one of those mass shooting events from happening, then it's worth doing you know, to have the assault weapons ban. But then in the very next breath, he's asked another question about whether or not he supports having uh, federally funded uh, police officers in schools to protect children and to stop these. And I don't necessarily know if that's the right solution or not, but the part that gets me is that if you use his argument from the previous part, if it stops one of these events, if it prevents one of these, and he says, well, I don't think that's really going to make a difference. He, say, he points to Uvalde and says, look, they had a, a surplus, they had no shortage of police presence, and it didn't prevent the horrific deaths of those 10-year-old kids. That's verbatim for what he said. That time I know that is. And, yeah, Uvalde had tons of issues. It was ridiculous that those cops were afraid to act and afraid to step in. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I am a, a vocal supporter of law enforcement. And I, I've made it clear that they should be held accountable when they make mistakes, but that they should also be supported when they do the right thing. And Uvalde was a case of them not doing the right thing. But Ryan, Pat Ryan, in New York 19, I'm sorry, New York 18, 
it gets confusing with the redistricting and everything. But he argues in one breath that we need to ban assault weapons because it could prevent one mass shoot. And then the next one, he says, no, we don't need to, to fund having police officers in school. Again, I'm not for either one of these things. I don't think either one of these is the solutions. Armed guards, maybe. It, it depends on what the school district wants, what the parents in that district want, what they want for their kids. That should be an issue raised at the PTA, so I agree with Ryan in that regard. But the fact that he said we don't want schools to become militarized fortresses, that's another exact quote from him. Well, you, you can't live in both worlds at once. You can't say that if it saves one life, it's worth doing when it's convenient for you. But then when there's an argument on the other side for a solution that would definitely save one life, you say, oh, well, not in that case. I don't agree with that. It's just inconsistency. Like or dislike the Republican candidates, when I go to these debates, they may not have the best opinions on everything. They may not have the best stances but at least their stances support A to B to C. The Democrats don't have that. They'll turn on law enforcement and say that they're systematically racist and they want to shoot unarmed black kids in one breath. And then the next one, when they're put on the spot and they know that it's going to cost them polling numbers, they'll say, oh, well, we need to take guns away from citizens and put them in the hands of law enforcement and fund and equip our law enforcement to handle these issues. The, the things just don't line up. You can't not trust the police, want them defunded, and then, like you never even said it, pretend like you've always been a supporter of them and want them better funded. Now, you conversely compare that stance on the Republican side, and again, love them or hate them, their stance is, okay, law enforcement needs to be supported, we need someone to enforce the laws and keep the public safe. Also, the public has the right to defend themselves and keep themselves safe. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. You can have respect and want to support the police and also not have full confidence that they're going to be able to get to every crime scene in time to make a difference and believe that your citizens have a right to protect themselves. And I've had conversations, again, I mentioned this in my gun episode, where people tell me that they don't trust the police, that people are coming for them, that they're in danger. This was particularly a gay man in this case that I was having a conversation with him. He was an ex-Navy gay man who was at a bar for a uh, congressional candidate. I won't go into any more specifics because, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, dox anybody. But he says to me, you know, I'm gay, and people are coming for me. You know, then the, the Republicans are coming for me, and you can have your opinion on that. But I said to him, I was like, so then why are you against guns? Why are you against owning a gun? Why would you not want to own a firearm? And he says, if somebody breaks into my home, I have insurance. They can just take whatever they want. And I said, okay, wait, hold up. So if they break into your home, right, they're a criminal. They probably didn't expect you to be there. In most robberies, they don't really want people in the house when they go to rob. Statistically, even a dumb criminal knows that when you have more witnesses, it makes a messier situation. You'd rather break into an empty home and steal from people when they're not there. And I said to him, so what if somebody breaks into your house and they're a criminal and they're going to steal your stuff? And you're okay with that. I get that. Okay, you don't care about your stuff. You're okay with it. That's fine. But they see your face. You see their face. They know you're there. You know they're there. Now you have a description of them. Now they're panicking. What do you think they're going to do? They're either going to turn tail and run, which is the best case scenario, or they're going to panic and they're going to try and kill you so that you can't tell the police who it was that broke into your house and stole your stuff.
And I said to him, I was like, if you really think that you can't trust the police, that as a gay man, you're under threat, that people are coming for you, that your life's in danger, why wouldn't you want to own at least a pistol and keep it in a locked box, in a safe, whatever you want, gathering dust that hopefully you never have to touch, and just in case? Like, wouldn't you rather have that option that you pray you never have to use than to have one of these scenarios come to you where you're totally defenseless? And he had no answer other than to get mad and kind of, like, uh, like start spit flying in my face. And at that point, I kind of disengaged the conversation because it was clear that there was no progress to be made. But it just struck me as so odd how you can have someone that says they don't trust the police, but they also don't want you to defend yourself. They just don't match. And it's the same thing with these other issues, like I mentioned with the green energy. You say you want... Um, you don't want to be dependent on foreign entities for energy in America. You want energy independence. Well, energy independence at this point in time comes from oil, natural gas, and fossil fuels. Unfortunately, that's the reality. Or nuclear. Well, they don't want nuclear because they say it's dangerous. They don't want oil and gas because they say it pollutes. They want wind and solar and electric vehicles. And all of the data that we have right now says that, yes, this technology is coming up, and yes, it could be there in 10, 20, 15, whatever, 30 years. But it's not there yet. And now we're seeing rolling blackouts in Democratic-controlled states like California, and they can't even charge their cars or keep their lights on. And you got to ask yourself, who is this benefiting? It's not benefiting you. It's just that they, they say these things and they, they, they pretend like they care about these issues and like they care about the average person. Then when they get into office, they want to get reelected, so they follow through on the policies they know aren't going to work in hopes that they can again gaslight you and lie to you and say that this is the way forward and the big bad Republicans are trying to ruin everything and they don't care about the planet, they don't care about your kids. But nothing backs it up. If you go briefly below that surface level, and if anybody in the left, you know, set of mind is still listening to this, which kudos to you, I respect you for sticking around and at least hearing an alternative point of view, just ask yourself, do you really think that they care about you on either side of the aisle? And if the answer is no, then... Why do you keep supporting these people and these policies that clearly are lying to you and trying to make you feel guilty and putting yourself and your future and your family's future and your friend's future at risk for essentially virtue signaling? And again, you can have your opinion of the Republican Party. I have my issues with them, too. I think that they don't really work together. I don't think that they unite behind common goals. I don't think they know how to solve these problems effectively either. But I certainly think that at the very least, Republicans often don't do anything, and Democrats do things that cause negative effect. And between those two options, even though I don't really care for either one of them, I would rather have stagnation than negative direction. Now, obviously, I would rather have positive direction than stagnation or negative direction, but if those are my two options at this political juncture in time, either essentially nothing happens or very little happens or a bunch of things happen that make things worse, I'd rather go with that. And that's not necessarily the case. As we saw during the Trump administration, a lot of things moved us in positive directions. A lot of things became more affordable. I was, I was doing very well 
in my financial investments. I was doing very well in my ability to fill up my tank and to do the things I wanted to do, to, to have recreational fun, to go to, to bars and parties and do all of the things that people want to do. Concerts, you know, go out bowling, take your, your girl or your guy or whoever you, you like out on a, on a date or out for a, a fun time or go out with your friends. These things are no longer as accessible as they once were even simply in just the, the price to get there, to take someone somewhere, to go somewhere with someone. Now it's a financial decision to, to drive an hour and a half away because a tank of gas is going to cost you $50. It's insanity. And I just don't think that at this juncture in time that very few, if any, of the Democratic candidates are really committed to solving the issues that are present at hand. I know they're committed to solving the issues that they scream about constantly, things that really do not affect the average American. And I, and I think I've touched on this in the past, but I'll, I'll bring up the issue uh, of gay and transgender rights. Should these people have absolute freedom and the rights of any other citizen in America? Absolutely. Is them having a, an extra voice and being a protected class more important than issues like the economy, the price of gas? Uh, the, the foreign threats to our country. No, I'm sorry. It's just not. And they try to compare it to the, the plight of minorities in you know slavery and in indentured servitude. And it's just, it's dishonest. And again, it's making you feel guilty for something you haven't done. And it's accusing you of something to then get you to give them the response they want so that they can maintain power while still complaining about how awful and terrible you are if you don't agree with them. And it's manipulation tactics. The issues that they focus on, again, uh, mass shootings in America, is it an issue? Absolutely. Do we need to work to solve it? 100%. Is it the number one issue facing us? Is it the number one threat to our country? No. We, have, uh, we just had President Biden admit that there, that there may be a very small nuclear war. How do you have a very small nuclear war? It's either nuclear war or it's not nuclear war. There is no very small in it. And, and this is a real issue that they are even saying is on the table. But then in the next breath, they're focusing on something nonsensical. And, you know, you can have your opinion on it. I have my opinion on it. I've been through the whole episode. I encourage you to go back and listen to all these episodes. Abortion's another one. I mean, is it an issue? Is it something we need to discuss? Is it, is it something that needs to be uh, solidified and clarified in the United States and where we stand on it and how it works? Absolutely. Is abortion the number one reason that you need to cast your vote on November 8th? No. It's ridiculous. It's, it's silly, and it's, it's calling you, the voter, you, the citizen of this country, an idiot. It's saying you are too stupid to realize that we have bigger problems and we need to reduce you to your base. We need to, if you're a woman voter, we need to bring this down to the most basic level and we need to say, listen, I know there's other issues, but you can't focus on those. You're a woman. You need to be strong. You need to stand for this one thing that we're going to claim to do for you, that, that we're putting in a, in a portrait of being a gift to you and your fundamental rights. And the reality with abortion is, it, right now, it has been reduced to states' decisions. Okay, you may agree with that, you may not agree with that. Either way, what that means is that currently, 
and for the foreseeable future, there, there's no real talks in, by anyone on the Republican ticket in any sense of actual power. There are fringe, like, small-time Republicans that say crazy things, just like the Democrats. But largely, from the actual institution, there are very few voices that are calling for an all-out federal abortion ban. I haven't heard a single reputable, reputable Republican claim that they want that, despite what I've heard Democrats claim that their opponents have said. Now, at the same time, you have the right right now in individual states to codify Roe, which many states have done. And what that means is that in that state, now it is protected under that state's constitution, under that state's precedent of law, which means that if you do want to get an abortion, even if you can't get one in the state you're currently in, there is a place you can go to do it. And again, I'm not going to get bogged down in the details on it, but to, to picture as if the abortion issue, as a woman, you are, are so dumb and, and so unimportant that this one thing needs to define how you make your decisions, not the safety of your kids, not the economic stability of our future, not the, the fact that your children might be bombed to ash in a nuclear Armageddon. Those issues don't matter. It's whether or not you have the right to get an abortion. It's just nonsensical. And they really don't care. And if they did care, then they would have actually done things while they were in power to do the things that they're claiming to want to do once they retain power, quote-unquote. That's another thing I hear at these debates. These Democrats talk about all of the things they're going to do if they manage to hold the House and Senate. Why aren't they doing them? They've had the majority this entire time, and all they've done is use it to pass laws that make things worse for you. They put these false labels on things like the infrastructure decision, that whole infrastructure bill did nothing for infrastructure. It went something like 10% towards roads and bridges. And yes, there are other facets of infrastructure, as the Democratic candidate I saw in Connecticut last night so eloquently put. She was like, there's more aspects to, infl or to, <laughs> to infrastructure than just roads and bridges. And that's true. But if you look at the bill, a bunch of it went into foreign aid. Why is foreign aid in an infrastructure bill? That has no business being there. There's, and it's the case with every single one of these, the Inflation Reduction Act. That also had foreign aid in it and had all these other things that had nothing to do with reducing inflation. And then they'll tout like the one tiny, like one line out of thousands that might get people interested and hope that you are too stupid to look beyond the one thing that they praise and just assume that you'll go out and tout it as a victory and you'll cast your ballot in that direction on November 8th. And I'm sorry. Again, I really, really try on this podcast to keep things at a, a center stage and find ways to bring people together. And I'm not going after you if you are listening to this and you are a member of the Democratic Party or if you're somebody that's left-leaning politically. I'm going after the elected officials on the left. I want to be very clear on that. This is not an attack on you. This is an attack on the establishment that is lying and manipulating you and making you feel like you are guilty and you need to stick with them because they are the way to salvation. And to folks on the right, you need to have conversations with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family, and you need to find ways to make them realize that the solutions they're being offered are lies, that what is being promised to them will not be delivered, and to our Republican officials out there, 
they need to find ways to bring their policies and their constituents to a common ground and find ways to stick up for their constituents, even if they're not politically aligned. They need to do their job as representatives and represent their entire districts or their entire states. And this is a huge problem, too. I'm not letting the, the Republicans get off scot-free here. They need to bring it in and find ways to, to reach commonalities and find ways to find common ground and agreements. You need to, to find a way to show these people that have been lied to that there is an alternative, that you can offer the solutions to help them. And I'm starting to see that from the Republican Party in the last you know couple of years for the first time in my life. I'm seeing them try and reach out and try and and find less radical positions on things. And all I've seen from the left is more radicalization and lies. So I, uh, I'm going to end this episode here pretty soon. I've, I've gone on long enough, and I could do this for literally the next <laughs> another 30 minutes easily and complain. But again, this is not the intent of this podcast. This podcast is meant to be uniting. And in a way, this episode still is about uniting. It's just uniting in a way that does disparage one side versus the other in regards to their establishment. Again, not in regards to the participants that have been fooled. I have nothing against the average Democratic voter. I have everything against the Democratic establishment. And I've been clear about my bias. I am right-leaning. I am a libertarian by nature. But you know, I, I can't be silent on, I can't be unbiased and silent on everything, and I can always give creed to something that is just so incredibly wrong and so far from reality. I feel a need to speak out against it. And if I'm ever going to run for office, which is my dream, I need to be clear that sometimes you do need to take a stand and sometimes you do need to call out nonsense when you see it. So, Sorry that got a little heated, folks. I really appreciate everybody listening in. To anyone that has made it this far through my heated rant, I appreciate you, and I thank you for listening, whether you agree with me or not. And whether you agree with me or not, I encourage you to reach out at politicaldivisionreenvisioned at gmail.com. Again, that's the name of the podcast, at gmail.com. And I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the episodes I referenced. For example, the abortion episode. The Abortion Distortion was the name of that one. Um, you can go back and listen to my America's Looking a Little Green, Maybe We Need Some Essential Oils episode. That was my most recent release. That one was referenced in this episode. And Guns, The Young, Mental, and Influential, my most popular episode ever. I encourage you to go back and listen to that one as well. So thank you so much, everyone who has continued to tune in. Thank you so much to everyone who is tuning in for the first time. This has been Political Division Re-Envisioned with your host, Nick Liberty, and I hope you all have a great day, and I hope you get out and vote on November 8th. Thank you, and goodbye.